Good evening. It's good to see everybody. Let me read Psalm 133, and then we're going to talk about sin, and then we're going to sing a new song. Some of you have sang the sea shanty this week already, but we're going to sing Psalm 136 as a sea shanty, so that's going to be great. It's, it's fun. This is the word of the Lord. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into a little teaching on the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 6, and then we're going to sing our sea shanty, and then we're going to eat so much red chili, you won't even know what to do with yourselves, so it should be delightful. Uh, Father, we're so incredibly grateful for our family gathered here for this beautiful day, uh, for these incredible reminders of your goodness through your creation. So we ask you to bless us tonight as we study, bless us as we sing, bless us as we feast, prepare our hearts for worship tomorrow, that we do everything that we do for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. It's getting cold. Not like yet. I mean, it will here in like 30, 40 minutes. I was up this morning pretty early, and it was 37 degrees outside. Yeah, it was so cold. That was pretty great. I'm sad, however, that we have entered fall. I was going to say I'm not sad, I should say. I'm not sad that we've entered fall, even though it was cold this morning. It is one of my favorite times of the year, and I was thinking when I was writing this that we all have favorites. We have favorite foods. We have favorite movies. We have favorite kids. No, no, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not supposed to say that one out loud. I'm just kidding. Um, we have favorite, we, pastors have favorite topics that they like to preach on, things that they like to preach about. And one of those topics, I think if you would take a poll of people, what do pastors preach about often? I would imagine people, I hope people, would say sin. And if you had like this caricature of the screaming Baptist from the pulpit, banging the pulpit, screaming sinners repent, which you actually all should do, but screaming, I think sometimes that's a caricature, that's the, the picture that people paint of what they expect pastors to talk about when we talk about sin. But the reality is sin has to be at the, the centrality of what we, we speak about in the discussions when it comes to faith and, and our life as Christians. And before I was a Christian, that, that's how I probably would have mocked Christianity. I, I mean, I did mock Christianity, so how I did, not how I would have making fun of, of like preachers standing in the pulpit screaming, sinners repent. You know, making a mockery of the concept of sin, scoffing at the idea of sin. And the reality, family, is, is that sin is nothing to scoff at. Garen and I were just talking about that when we were looking at some of the decorations on the street before church started. The reality is that sin is real. If we are in our sin, we're dead. And we only find life, new life, in Christ, right, our hearts being just, our, us being justified, our hearts being washed clean, despite our sinful nature. And so my hope tonight is that the reality and the importance of understanding how big sin is, is, is kind of in the forefront of your mind when we're done here. And I hope that when you're done looking at chapter 6, that you have good thoughts to chew on about how real sin is, how grateful we should be for being justified, and how we should want to turn away from sin, and why it's important for us to understand the sin problem that all of humanity experiences. Because without understanding our sin problem, we can never understand God's grace solution. If we don't understand our depravity, 
we cannot understand the free gift of grace that Jesus offers us. And that is important, especially as we share the gospel, as we go and fulfill the Great Commission, as we, as we build God's kingdom here and now. Because to be in Christ is to be truly reborn. So, sinners repent. And with that, paragraph one. So it says, Our first parents, being seduced by the subtlety and temptations of Satan, sinned in eating the forbidden fruit. This, their sin God was pleased, according to his wise and holy counsel, to permit, having proposed to order it to his own glory. So last week we talked about providence. We talked about how God is also not the author of sin when we talked about God's character a few weeks before that. So when you hear this statement, this may sound confusing, or depending on your upbringing, this may be really bothersome, a little bit hard to chew on. But the reality is it has to be this way. If God is to be God, he must be in control providentially of all of creation. And so their sin, the fall, God was pleased according to his wise and holy counsel to permit, having proposed to order it to his own glory. Let's look at what the Bible has to say. Genesis 3.13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray for, from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. See, God providentially led this. Satan tempting Eve to sin. Adam failing to lead Eve. And the fall of mankind, right? God permitted this to happen. Not only did he permit this to happen, but he permitted this to happen and he was pleased because it was according to his wise counsel. It was according to his wise counsel that this happened. And that can be a hard like question in our minds, like, well, well why? Why? Why not just let us live in Eden? Because there's a more glorious result in God's economy because he allowed this to happen. And, and that glorious result requires their sin because it leads to the glorification of God. It has nothing to do with you at all, actually. It has everything to do with him and your ability to glorify him. And their sin leads, you to the, leads him to the glorious result that actually glorifies him because everything in this world has to serve God's good and holy plans and it ultimately glorifies him. Even man's first sin. And now after you hear that, like, how can you not be hopeful in Christ? after you hear that, that, that even, even the sin that caused the fall of mankind glorifies God, serves his glorious purposes, there is hope, right? From the very beginning, there is hope. Paragraph two, by this sin, they fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and so became dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of the soul and body. So now you see the result. First you see the action and there's a consequence, right? All actions have consequences. Some are good and some are really bad. This is really, really bad. So you've seen the action. Now here's the result. They became dead in their sins. One of the commentaries I read said they, they are the fruit of what was their lusts. The lust of their eyes. The lust of the flesh. My eyes see, my flesh wants. And then the pride of life. I want to be like God. I, I, want, I want to know the secret things right? And then what happens? What's the result? It's death. It's death. It leads to physical death, but it's the separation of the communion of God, which, which leads to spiritual death first. How many people do you know that are physically alive, but 100% spiritually dead? The, the walking dead, it's a thing. It's right out there. Like, right? It, it's, it's right out there. 
Literally. <laughs> Literally indeed. Genesis 3, 6-8. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There's a shame right there. You think you're going to hide from God? God's better than the, the U.S. drones that can see through the buildings, right? Like, <laughs> I, was, I like it in the Bible when God's like, where are you? <laughs> and they're like, here we are. And he's like, I know. <laughs> Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They're dead now, physically alive, but spiritually dead. And that's actually how we have to think about sin. Sin isn't just like, you did bad. There's your, there's your bad deed. I mean, it is. But that's not what it is. It leads to death. You see, the problem is living dead in your sin leads you to be actually dead. Even though you may appear to be very alive while you're doing it. But what are the fruits, right? Where is it leading? It's always leading to prideful destruction. If not in this life, for sure in the next. But it is death. It is literal death. It is a separation from the communion of God, which makes you dead. Paragraph 3. They, being the root of mankind, the guilt of this sin was imputed, and the same death in sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by the original generation. Everybody. Nobody escapes this. And... One of the things that this tells us is that headship actually matters, right? So, so headship matters. Things that, that happen before you, the people that are leading you, those actions matter. Adam and Eve are our federal heads. Because of the sin that they participated in, it is imputed on everybody. Nobody, nobody, unless you believe in Jesus, gets out alive. Romans 5:12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. One man impacted all men, especially for you men. This is when we talk about masculinity and manhood and responsibility. This is why it's so important. Your one action can have catastrophic ripple effects, much greater than the little micro world that you live in. It can impact the macro world in very significant ways. Romans 5, 15 through 19. But the free gift is not like the, the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Everybody is under the curse of the fall, 
That's why with little kids, you never have to teach them how to lie. I've said this before, but if you have children and you teach them to lie, that's bad parenting. But parents don't teach their kids to lie. Kids know how to lie because sin is real and it exists. So we can see this sin problem. We experience this sin problem. We see it in our own behavior. We see it in our neighbor's behavior. We see it in our children's behavior. That's all because one man sinned. But the hope, the hope lies in here. One man's sin imputed sin on all of us. One man's righteousness can impute righteousness on those who believe in him. That is incredible. Paragraph 4. From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good, and wholly inclined to all evil, do precede all actual transgressions. He's just describing the heart. It starts here before you do it here. Right? We live out our theology in our fingertips. That's, that's a Brian quote. We live out our theology in our fingertips. But it begins in our hearts. Evil that is executed with our hands starts here before it starts here. Right? Lust that's executed with our hands starts here before it's executed here. Righteousness that we do with our hands starts here before it's executed here. But it explains our heart. And we talk about the heart problem here all the time. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your heart is predisposed to evil. That's why you want to take revenge. That's why maybe you want to cut that guy off on the street. That's why you feel like things are owed to you in life. That's why you make it about you even in the first place. Our hearts are impacted. I have this friend, he's a pastor, he says he's, all, he's just one bad decision away from a lifetime in prison. And like, you can kind of chuckle about it, but it's true, right? Like, any of you, any of us are one bad decision from a lifetime in prison. One very sinful decision of following your heart could ruin your life and the lives of many other people forever and ever, right? Starts in the heart. And while people may not want to admit this fact to each other, we all actually know the depravity of our hearts. Uh, Calvin would call this total depravity, if you've, if you've been around Calvinistic circles. But Doug, in his commentary, I like this. He says that we should be careful with that term because it can be a, mit, a little bit misleading. Sometimes people think of total depravity like absolute depravity. Total depravity is not absolute depravity. We're saved from our sin. And actually, our hearts continue to turn from sin the more we get sanctified in Jesus but we still have a sinful heart. It doesn't have to live in that full state for the rest of our earthly existence. Right? Absolute depravity is not knowing the Lord at all and having no hope. But there's always hope because through one man's righteousness, many men can be saved. So that's the difference between total and absolute depravity. We experience total depravity, but there is salvation. There is an opportunity. There is hope. But if you're not in Christ, there isn't hope. The point is, is that sin is death, and without Jesus, you're dead in your sin. So the place that we should be focusing our attention is where we can seek life. Paragraph 5. The corruption of nature during this life doth remain in those that are regenerated. And although it be through Christ pardoned and mortified, yet both itself and all the motions thereof are truly and properly sin. Here's the thing that I didn't even know before I was a Christian. I assume before I was a Christian... That, and there are unfortunately some Christians that act in this manner, that it was like this like hyper-pious, well, we've all figured it out, ha-ha, Jesus has saved us, so screw the rest of you. 
<laughs> Never another bad deed again for me. 20 old ladies I've helped across the street just this afternoon. Many merit badges. But the confession is reminding us that the Christian, the regenerate, is not free from sin. He's just free from the penalty of his sin. You, as regenerate Christians, are not free from sin. All of you will still sin. I pray that it's less, and it's less, and it's less. But the reality is, you will still sin, even though you've been pardoned from your sin. The point is not that the Christian will never sin ever again. That will happen in the new heaven and the new earth. But it's that the Christian is not predisposed to sin. That the justified and sanctified heart is, is in a path to turn away from it, to recoil from it. To, to be aware that they should even be turning away from it and to be repentant of it. Versus the pagan attitude, which is just absolute defiance and then, you know, like propping up sin, making a whole month about it or making uh, a, a television ad. We, we literally, we can't even turn on Netflix anymore. Just burn that right to the ground. And you see this in clown world all over the place, right? So, so what happens in, in clown world is sin, the magnifying glass becomes on sin and sin gets, um, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Um, encouraged. But it's, it's more than encouraged. Glorified. Pardon? Commonplace, glorified, validated, all of those things, right? Th things that we're experiencing now, people would have said five years ago, Tolerate. that's insane. Tolerated, encouraged. Versus the recoiling or that feeling like, no, I don't know. Can you imagine they would have done Desperate Housewives in the 50s? Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, I, I'm, I'm amazed. I am, I am a difficult person to shock. I lived life in pagan land for a really long time. So I watched all the movies, saw all the stuff. And every once in a while, like, we hit something that like, any kid can scroll on a streaming app. And I'm like, how is that even on television? This is absolutely insane. Whether it's sexual content, whether it's violence. I don't think I was a very prudy person, but it's, it's abs you can see like the window has shifted so much. If you don't believe sin is a problem, you just have to open your eyes a little bit more because the window has shifted. Access, acceptability um, is so incredibly unacceptable, actually, and it, it, it's damaging. It's culturally damaging. It damages relationships, it damages children, uh, it, and it damages societies. And we're seeing the outflow of that right now. We're seeing the outflow of unrestrained, encouraged sin. People who are dead who are being lied to, saying that if you live your best life, if you, if you live out all of your lusts, all of what your eyes want, what your flesh wants, what your heart wants, because you deserve it, that's how you will achieve nirvana. And of course, it doesn't, it doesn't work. In the apologetics class that I'm teaching, the book that we're reading right now is a worldview book. And we just got to postmodernism. And what's interesting is, is it goes through like starting at theism and then working its way deism and nihilism and eastern thought and uh what was the and what was the other one um we missed another, i missed one in there you were, it's okay po, well postmodernism is now but you start now you get to postmodernism naturalism was in there as well and what happens with all these is they start getting like squishier there's no hard edges even in the book it's like postmodernism is actually kind of hard to define because it's it's really squishy but it's so squishy, it's leaked into all these things culturally. And now it's become, it's become fact, not, not just 
crazy philo uh, philosophical ramblings, right? It, it's being treated like it's fact. And it, it, it's, it's because of the encouraged rampant sin. And we see the fruits of that and we watch as, as towns collapse. I mean, the violence in our, in our general area, right, the greater Denver area, I would be interested to see what the hockey stick looks like on a 10-year run right now between Denver and Aurora and a little bit north of us. I don't think any of us would like the results. And we know what the problem is. You see, when you know how serious sin is and you've repented from it and you're in faith, we get to see the fruits of the regenerate heart versus right now, what do we see? We see the fruits of the repugnant heart, right? The, it's gross. The regenerate know that a life dead in sin is fruitless. They know that it doesn't provide. It can't. A life dead in sin always leads to lawlessness, which is what we're seeing actually like physically what we can experience outside you know, the walls of the house is that a life without Jesus is always lawless because life without Christ is chaotic. And all of these other worldviews that don't have Jesus at the center of them are always chaotic. And so we're seeing the fruits of that chaos right now. That's why there's a call to repentance. Proverbs 29, who can say, I have made my heart pure and I am clean from sin. You see, Christians aren't saved from sinning. They're saved from the penalty of sin. But what the difference with Christians and the pagans who are dead in their sin are is that the Christians are self-aware because God has made you self-aware to know that you need to repent and you need to confess. That's why you come to church and you get on your knees. And you should repent continuously, not just on your knees at church. But we do it communally as a reminder, as a corporate body, that we are dead in sin and we are saved and only been given life through the power of Jesus. Not by me, not by the church, but through Jesus Christ you have been saved from the penalty of your sin. I have made my heart pure. Am I uh, clean from my sin? Nobody can say that, Proverbs says. Nobody can say that because the only person that can make your heart clean is God. See, those in faith understand this critical piece. This is the critical part of the message that we have to deliver when we are evangelizing and spreading the gospel. Paragraph six, the last one. Every sin, both original and actual, being a transgression of the righteous law of God, and contrary thereunto, doth in its own nature bring guilt upon the sinner, whereby he is bound over to the wrath of God and the curse of the law, and so made subject to death with all the miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal. Sin's real, and the penalty for living dead in your sin is real. Like, you can make a little laugh of it next door, and you can, I mean, right, that's what it is. It's just, there's a, Dude with the upside down cross reading the Bible and there's the people sawing the other dude open and there's the, the evil nurse and all the other satanic images that are going on. You can make a mockery of it, but without faith in Jesus, real hell's way worse than that. That's a caricature of hell. But we've, we've turned into this cultural mockery of like, ah, see you in hell, man. I guess we'll see each other together. <laughs> you will literally hear people joking around like that. I was a person that used to joke around like that. That is insane. That's insane. That is, that is the fruits of a dead heart in sin. 1 John 3, 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin's lawlessness. It's a violation of the perfect law of God. We... we <laughs> 
The church also has done this really unfortunate piece of damage by pretending like God's law isn't good and holy. Ah, Christ came to fulfill law. He did. That does not, it did not, Jesus did not come and say, God's law doesn't matter anymore. It wasn't actually any good. Everybody move forward and don't pay attention to it. We talked about this with the Sabbath last Sunday. Ah, we only have to follow nine of the Ten Commandments now. Ha <laughs> ha! That's insane. God is the holy God that gave his holy law that you as a sinner are incapable of keeping. So Jesus, through his fulfillment of the law, has saved you from the penalty of your sin, but it doesn't change the fact that God's law is good, which is why I'm a theonomist. But that's a different... We don't have to, we do not have to murder Ricky, which is, it's good. Can you imagine, can you imagine how weirded out the neighbors would be if on Saturday nights we had to come back out into the back and <laughs> do some goat sacrifices? It's probably weirder stuff's happened in Denver though, this week, probably. All sin is lawlessness before God. God created a perfect law. But here's the beautiful thing, is that God in his providence, so that he could be glorified, allowed sin into the world. God in his providence, so he could be glorified, allowed sin into the world, not as his, the author. Satan tempted Adam and Eve. But through God's providence, he allowed these things so that he could be glorified. Because it's through the redemption of man's sin in faith in Jesus Christ that man gets new life. And what does man do with that new life? He glorifies God. And enjoys him forever, which is the beauty of the divine mystery. It's how we can be joyous people, even though a culture outside is, is promoting sin, selling sin, putting it on TV, telling your children to participate in sin. Don't you want them to play the field? No, we don't want them to play the field. That's insane. <laughs> Leviticus did have something to say about that. That's in chapter 19. This is the beauty of the divine mystery. But it's also the beauty of the grace of God and why we're hopeful people. See, this is, this is why I don't think you can be a Christian and not be outwardly in joy. Because if you, if you understand the depth of your depravity and you understand the incredible, 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 overwhelming power of God's grace, you have nothing to do but be joyful, no matter what the circumstance is. Because God has saved you, an enemy of His, to live a redeemed life and to go into the world in joy, to be able to, to try to redeem that mess there, right? to, to, to do it in joy, to stand firm on the truth. If you're dead in your sin, you are dead in your life. I mean that very seriously. And, and, and if you're dead in your sin and you're dead in your life, all you will see is death. Look at the people who don't know Jesus and all they talk about is death and death and death. And, and there's, a, there's a news media complex there's a news media complex that is built around that that's absolutely built around that i mean i, I told this to a couple of guys there were these two dudes walking down the street yesterday we were you should go check out the garage we've turned it into a total man cave it's great we've got the music equipment out there. there's a little couch the workout equipment the workbench so we were spending most of the day yesterday doing that and these two dudes walk by probably in their 40s and they're like patting each other back and they're talking to the guy next door. And they're like, man, this, this murder scene you've built here is so great. Isn't it? It's better than Christmas, right? Oh, man. I know. But, but when you're dead in your sin and you're dead in life, even though you pretend to be alive, all you will see is death. Why are there so many horror movies? And they're I, 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 don't like, I never liked horror movies to begin with anyways. 
So, like, even if we catch a trailer, the few times we ever go to a movie theater, and it's like, Death Saw 47. You're like, wow. It's a lot of red paint. But why are people drawn to that? Why is there such a market for that? Such an incredible market for that. Dead in sin. Dead in sin leads us to be dead even if we're standing up and walking. It's joyless. It's peaceless. It's riddled with anxiety. It's hopeless. And all it can see is gray everywhere. It misses the color. Like, look at the color. Look at the beauty. Like, literally, look at the beauty that is surrounding us. Because if, if, if you don't have the hope of the resurrection of Jesus, everything ends at a stopping point for you. Whether you've consciously thought about that stopping point or not, right? It's a hard stop. It's all kind of hanging on this edge of nihilism. Nobody's ever, like, really a nihilist. But you can get really, 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 really close. And, and society is just pushing culture to the edge of the nihilism cliff, right? You started mixing everything up so much, you can't really tell what's up and what's down. Or we're calling up, down, and left, right. And then if you say, well, no, that was always right before, they're like, no, no. Why, why do you hate, why are you a directionalist? Why, why, would you, why do you hate directions so much? It's crazy. It's your privilege. But here's, here's the good news, family. Here's the really good news. There is life. There is renewed life, and that is life in Christ, a life that is saved from your sin. That, that is what happens when God cuts in your heart. He, he shows you your heart. He shows you your sin. And, and, and you know what the beautiful part about that is? When he shows you your heart, then you get to see the hearts of other people. When you understand your depravity, you understand other people's depravity, and so you're going to start loving your enemy because your enemy's got a sin problem. Your neighbor's got a sin problem. Your friend's got a sin problem right? And, and you know your sin problem, so it allows you to approach people in compassion and truth and kindness, not, not nice, but compassion and true and kind and firm, because all, all have fallen and are subject to sin and death. And you know the answer. You know the saving answer. That's why I laugh, I'll wrap this up with this, but I laugh like when sometimes people are like, well, I don't know why you want to convert all these people to Christianity? It's almost like they think we're selling them something. Like, if we just get enough people in this week, then we get, like, I don't know, 25% off on our next round of church t-shirts. I don't even know what you're dealing It benefits you. <laughs> it benefits God's kingdom. I mean, everybody benefits when people are in faith. But it's not like you get merit badges because you shared the gospel. It's, it's that when, when you see a sickness, don't you want people to have the cure? Like, if, if you had the pill to cure cancer and somebody refused to take that pill, you'd want them to take and they had cancer. And he said, this, this pill will save your life. No side effects. Just joy. It's going to cause you to rejoice all the time. And sometimes at times when people think you're weird for rejoicing. We have the answer. We have the solution. Because it will save them from death. It will reunite them in communion with God. It will allow them to glorify Him. We want people in faith so they're glorifying God. Not because they're filling butts and seats in churches, right? We want, want them in churches too. They need to be in churches so that they can glorify God. It's not about headcount numbers. It's about glory. Sin. Sin is mankind's common foundation. And Christ is mankind's only solution. All of man shares one problem. And there's only one solution to that problem. But the beautiful part is, 
Kristen said earlier, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, but that can only be done if you're alive. And once you are alive, it's the only thing you want to do because it's so great. It's so great living in the joy of Jesus Christ. You cannot be dead in your sin and glorify the Lord. So repent and believe. Be thankful. Confess your sin. For our God is a good God and he brings life from death. He gives new life. And so I encourage you all to choose life. Amen? Amen. Let's go sing and then let's feast.